I moved to the Bay Area right after high school, 1994. And then I went to San Francisco State, and then I lived there for a couple years in Oakland. I've, around, I've, been, I've been in the Bay Area longer than I've been in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so like over, what is it, almost over 20 years, 20-some years. Um, but I love Oakland. And that's just a weird threshold to cross. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've crossed it in New York, and it's just, yeah, it's strange when you get that point because you know, obviously, strange. like time, time moves a lot differently as you get older. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And you know, like I always see Pittsburgh as my home, even though, like you know, my most of my family lives here now, and yeah, I haven't been. I've been to Pittsburgh. I visited Pittsburgh last year, but like you know, I haven't been there for a while but it's you know everything like all the things that i you know the sports teams and you know i think that keeps me thinking that now the nostalgic feelings but you know when you're away from home it's more nostalgic and more positive than when you're actually living where you're at you know I was out in the South Bay last week, and I, I went to an A's game. And I don't know if you've <laughs> been to an A's game at uh-huh. any point in the yes. last couple of years. I grew up 20, 30 minutes away, and I used to see the games. And they were like, mm-hmm. when I was really young, they were a really good team. And I have all these great memories. And obviously, I was going back and forth on whether or not I even wanted to go and wh- whether or not I wanted to sort of support the ownership of what's happening. But I right. went, and it was just desolate is the only yeah. word I can use. Yeah. It was eerie. Like a shell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't too busy, huh? I, I suspect. <laughs> you could walk for like five minutes and not see anybody inside uh, the yeah. Coliseum. Who were who they playing? They were playing the Rangers, which, you know, That's I mean, still, d- division yeah, it's still rivals. still solid, yeah. It was a Thursday night. It was a Thursday night. There should have been people there. I have a feeling that people were just like, we're done. We're done with this team. And especially after, you know, all the news that they were just decided to just quit Oakland. So I'm sure not a lot of fans want to come to the game after that. It is interesting how sports teams kind of, they can help sort of tether you to... Mm -hmm. I know Pittsburgh isn't technically East Coast. It's sort of like that cusp. The mid-Atlantic. Yeah, between Midwest and East. Mm -hmm. I have this strong... Because of all the A stuff that's been happening, I've been having conversations with people about like, you know, maybe following another team and I have all of these reasons why I've ruled out most of the teams and I ruled out everybody on the East coast. Cause I can't stand East coast sports fans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I haven't been, I mean, I mean, it depends. Like I'm so in, I'm so a part of the, like the Steeler and pirates fandom that I don't have that perspective from the outside of looking in and saying, wow, these are like the most, like horrible, offensive, obnoxious fans, and I hear that, and, from, and I'm just like, I don't, I don't see that. I don't understand. We're just supporting our team. We're not like you know, Flyer fans or Eagles fans. I'm oh. not really sure. I mean, the Steelers maybe. I, I don't know. The Pirates fans seem fairly mellow, but but they're mellow now because they're they're sort of like a minor league feeling. They've been not good for a long time, but but like compared to. Literally every Philly team, they seem pretty chill. Yes, um, it's just a, they're like a feel good team, but like you know, it's just like a bittersweet like 
you're very torn because you know you want the team to succeed and you like want to root for these players because they're they're really cool guys like you know um andrew mccutcheon is super cool he came back and there was this whole time where they were leading the nl for a couple weeks there and now it's sort of like a kind of evening out and he's like brought this mojo back that hasn't happened since like what 2012 or something that playoffs with the wild card with you know, Cueto, they were like, Cueto, and he dropped the ball, and all this craziness as soon as we won that wild card. But, so, like, that magic feeling is stuff that just pirate fan love, but at the same time, they know that their ownership is very (laughs) greedy and doesn't want to, doesn't want to pay, you know, for, like, anybody to, like, make a real successful run at anything. Although they seem to, you know, done a couple of good signs like early in the season but I don't know I think that's just sort of like for show a little bit I don't know I don't think it's anything I mean people still come I mean people like their bobbleheads and it's a great stadium and it's a great time so I think there's always going to be somebody coming so what did you study in school I studied I I went to San Francisco State University and then I studied art I studied um conceptual design this we it was art with an emphasis of conceptual design and information arts and basically it was you know conceptual art like post modern and like like you know di- digital video art like you know nam june pike type stuff and multimedia semiotics yeah and um but then it was like you could uh use like computer technology to make art so like robotics but then it got into like you know Photoshop. Like this is when Photoshop was in Photoshop and InDesign, and so we were making all sorts of art through computer stuff. And so then I was when I graduated, I was like, I'm just going to be a painter. I'm gonna I'm not going to do conceptual design or anything like that. And it's like, what would I? I don't know. Um, I guess I could do installation art and performance art. But then, I, but then um, when I because I learned all these skills. I got into like I had this web career, and this was during the '90s and like dot com, you know, early aughts, and so I found myself like being a web designer, for like, and I still kind of am like a web content person, so um, that helped as a day job, <laughs> especially in the Bay Area during that bubble. Yeah, in the Bay Area yeah. during during that bubble, it, that's a nice thing to it sounds like effectively fall into. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that's what I was doing. And then, um, and then I just started making comics again. I found comics again. I loved comics like when I was a kid early on. And then I, I kind of just stopped and did other art making. And then I found it when I just like saw like in my bookstore, like from my day job, they're Stacy's and, um, I just found like a collection of Adrian Tamina's work <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is new stuff I've never seen before. Like real, really different than what I, I saw in the library years and years ago. Just like right in, right in the wheelhouse, you know, like Asian American and I think, yeah. wasn't he in Oakland at the time? I don't know if he was in New York He was York in the Bay Area. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he, he was a Bay Area guy initially. Oh, totally. Yeah. He went, he was like from Sacramento and then Berkeley and then, yeah. And then he was living in, was he living in Oakland or Berkeley? He was living in like the borderline of Berkeley and 
Yeah, the border. It is an amazing moment, and I heard a lot of cartoonists describe that. So there's like there, there's a couple of paths I, I hear, and for me, I was like the the 12 year old boy reading like superhero comics who uh-huh. ended up kind of coming back around to it. Unless you've somehow managed to like just be immersed in it from a young age, that moment of realizing that like what can be done with this medium that you thought you knew is pretty incredible. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Um, and that you yourself can make comics like the whole D do it yourself aesthetic of it you know with, of making mini comics and um you know because before like when I knew about comics was Sunday funnies and so I always was like I'm gonna have my own syndicated strip and that's what I'm gonna do and then realizing that that wasn't possible um you know I just went ahead and just kind of felt like okay I'm going to do adult art you know I'm going to be an adult now and make real art. I'm going to be a painter and people will buy my paintings and I'll get be in galleries and it's all highbrow type stuff. But it's just, yeah, interesting. Like I, I just went away from it for so long and then to come back and then to see, it was really interesting. Cause I, you know, I also was when I first dated like my now husband, I, you know, was at his house and he had a roommate and he, his name, um, his friend Derek. He's also from Fremont. You might know. Um, um, and they had like all these graphic novels, and I was like, just like, what is this stuff? I've never seen this stuff. And like, um, you know, John Porcelino's stuff, and like Chester Brown stuff, and yeah. So it's like everything that was grown in the like the punk scene as well. Cause they were punk guys. So yeah, that was just really cool to see all that at the time. I mean, it's small, but an indie comics community has sort of sprouted in in Pittsburgh in the yeah. last like, decade or so. It seems like. Well, I remember, like, I think, like, right after I left, I found out that there was an actual scene going on there, like you know Jim Rugg and Ed Pisker and this whole you know Rob Rogers and, and Santoro um, and yeah Santoro and Copacetta Comics and um. So, yeah, I was like, dang, why did I stay for a while? So, um, <laughs> but, you know, I wasn't really thinking about comics when I left. I was just like, I just need to leave. And it, But also here it's interesting. Like, there's so many cartoonists that live in Oakland and in, like, this particular neighborhood. And it's not, it's, it's just like they all sort of converged and there's no real reason why. It's just, it's just really interesting how communities sprout up. And that's the cool thing about indie comics. Like that's the whole thing is communities really think. I was thinking about this earlier because the, and I don't know how much of this is me sort of just not being in touch with it the way I used to. Part of it's like just getting older and my job and all these things. Mm-hmm. This is going to sound like some old man stuff because it kind of is, but I, I just, I don't, it doesn't feel like there is community in New York city the same way there was like 15 years ago. I think, I think rent's I, probably a big part of that, but, mm. but you're in the Bay area. So obviously it's not that much more livable out there. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. Um, and a lot of people moved away from the Bay area too, but I think also maybe the whole thing with social media and being online, that the community is kind of takes another form. It's in another kind of form where it's not so much as in person, but it's all online now. And I, I don't know, you know, we don't have as many shows as we used to either. 
but I, you know, I think they're coming back in, you know, especially after the pandemic. And I think a lot more people are showing up because of that feeling of when you need to see people in person. And, and that was the cool thing when I came, when I went to Toronto, I hadn't been to a comic show in like three years or even more than that. Cause I'm not really good at selling my stuff at shows, but I like to visit, but you know, cause Ape isn't, isn't around. There really isn't a show, which is crazy. There isn't a show here in the Bay area. Is WonderCon, is that still? No, oh, it's down in Anaheim. Oh, there was another show other than Ape. I can't remember what it was called. It was a there's little more. A, there's a zine fest there's that's zine actually fest. still happening, yes. But there isn't like a comics-specific, comics-focused. I mean, there's small, there's small comic shows that are definitely, have come up recently, which is cool. So there are like a bunch of... I, I know that there are a bunch of different groups that are like, especially young groups that, that I feel very excited about that are like that to see because there actually are communities still happening. Like people are coming together and drawing like silver sprocket is, is one of those, those places that totally ca- um, champions a lot of young cartoonists in the Bay area. So I, I still like that. It's the whole kind of punk feeling DIY global, like global hobo, like, that feeling is still out there in the Bay Area. And, and yeah, totally, I feel, I know that you say, like, I feel like, like old man stuff, but I think when I came to the show again for the first time in a while, I felt, I realized that I am in this new era <laughs> in my comics, you know, career or whatever this is, that I am now the older like this generation of like saying, well, back in the day we did this, you know, like it's like, and I, I don't, I don't know how I feel about being in that position. Like, well, back in the day we had, you know, photocopies and we had these things called mini comics and we actually made them <laughs> a photocopy story, you know, because I just think like, is that something that's still happening? Like, why do I need to tell that story? But um <laughs> You know, it's just interesting that, okay, yeah, I think now we actually have to give some context to a lot of the things, a lot of the comics we were making, a lot of the comics we were reading, because it's definitely still, it's stuff that's come, you know, that's a lot longer than we perceive it as being. It's been just come around last year. I think there's a lot of explanation around certain comics that we make, and which I find <laughs> then I realize that we need to talk about and stuff like that. Have you read Julia's new book yet? Julia Wirtz? Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. There's a great moment in there where she like, she realizes that she's the older generation, I think going to SPX and she's like very, she's <laughs> very excited. She's like very excited, <laughs> which is, which is a really funny moment. Cause I haven't really seen it contextualized like that. Cause like for me, the old, the old person thing, was always uh, they would always talk about there was there used to be a softball game after SPX. Yeah. <laughs> they would hear that every year the softball game. And games, <laughs> SPX was so much better back then, and we tend to think of it. I mean, one like obviously anything that reminds us of our mortality is, is not a good thing, but also that it's sort of crotchety. But maybe I don't know. Maybe there is something to that. Maybe there is something empowering in being an elder statesperson in a certain sense. Yeah, I just I, I just feel like I don't know how much wisdom I can imbue to these kids. I feel like they just know what they're doing and I think they're on a good path. And so that's why it's like I can't I don't have anything to tell you. But I, it, I always think I always think that the vanguard is always like, you know, Dan Klaus or 
I don't know. Adrian. Yeah, okay, even Adrian, even though I think Adrian's still 15. Like, you know, because it's like optic. And, and so for me, seeing myself in this, like, oh, you've been here for a while, is just, you know, and, and people asking me questions about, like, how did they do, th- how did you first come up? It's just like, oh, I'm getting those questions now. You know. Yeah, it makes you feel like you've, like, been a part of something, though. Like, you have this, <laughs> you're part of some legacy, which, yeah, I don't mind that. It's fine. I should preface this by saying I don't think there was ever, I know there was never an easy time to make a living as a cartoonist, but yeah. I do think that that period that that coincided with the, you know, the 90s boom that we're talking about, like, a lot more people were able to do it. You know, you, you mm-hmm. know, you mentioned, like, Dan and um, P- Peter Bag and all, all you mm-hmm. know, the Hernandez brothers, all that generation. And it's... And I wonder if there's a, there, there's an extent to which you kind of will always hold those people as elder states people because, you know, they've got these big books and they were published in a way that has been increasingly hard to, to do, right? I mean, that's – and it does seem to also have coincided with all the, you know, sort of the late capitalism things that – we're dealing with that like millennials are dealing with generally of you know not being able to buy a house that that also at the same time it's just you can't it's just impossible to make a living doing art in the way it was you know 30 years ago yeah and i but i also feel like i don't i don't even know if they were making money off of comics though i think they were all doing it through like illustration work you know commercial work for sure but um and then, you know, I don't know if the like if the book deals were as big as they are now. Like YA, you have you see some pretty big deals. But I think, so I do think that you can, but I don't think it's like the majority of cartoonists are making, you know, a career just solely on making comics. For our contemporaries, it's going to be like Raina, right? She'll be... Yeah. That or probably is right now that person because she is somebody oh, that okay, just so completely like, yeah. blew it wide open, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe even Jean, Jean Yang. A lot of people in that kind of like first second. Yeah, for second, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you were at TCAF. I was. Um, it's it was really nice to see people again, and and it the last time I was at TCAF was the first time for me, which was like around 2012. And that was the first time I met Annie Koyama ever. And I think that might've been her first show. I want to say as Koyama press. And I remember that clearly because, um, I was, um, repping for Dylan Williams and spark plug. And, um, so I went there and we were all, all the publishers, all the main publishers, except D&Q, they were able to get out of this room, were stuck in this room because they wanted to... I'm sure that they prioritized the Canadian company, too. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and that, too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Fanographics was also in this room. Maybe, I think. And then... Um, Annie's from Toronto, but but yeah, yeah if it was her first and show. It was, like, her first show, and it was, yeah. And, um... So we were all stuck in on in this room and like we were me it was me and Annie on like right kind of next to each other and it was just so cool to see to see her with her artists like she is the one who like really champions her artists and they would just all of them would just come visit her 
and just like show her so much like adoration and love and it was just like such a feel-good thing and I was just always like who is this woman like who is this amazing woman and um yeah and so then just to I got to see her again we we had dinner and um it, it was just a great feeling to just see that and to from after like how many years a decade and that we're you know where where we are now basically is interesting she's not publishing anymore right no but she's helping you know she's been helping a lot of artists like help um get off the ground like a lot of their projects oh she's got her grant fund koyama yeah, yeah koyama provides i mean obviously that kind of thing could exist here i mean the zero grant was maybe maybe as close as i can think of i don't oh, yeah. i don't even is that still i don't even know if that's still a going concern i think so I should check into that and <laughs> see if I can submit. Canada generally is a much better place to try to be an artist. Yeah, because you can get more grants there, right? Yeah, they support the arts the way they And they support the arts. Is. But I've noticed that, you know, there are a lot of good, cool residencies here. So a lot of great artist residencies. So I've been, I've been looking, seeing those more, which is cool. How much of your time these days is actually spent making comics? Well, I mean, this, this past year, I... I I really just kind of quit and focused on making this book, the man in Macintosh suit that's out. And so I've just sort of taken a break from like, from other work and just focused on, um, making comics and just doing more art, creative, um, projects that I've kind of pushed for a long time. And, um, I'm just kind of in this, time in my life where i feel like it's not too late to try try this out and it's not to try to like make a go at it <laughs> yeah to make it go at it and it's like kind of be really like practical and mature and rational with my with my decision making but also you know this is it's not like i'm not too old and i'm not i'm not as young as i used to be so like i just feel like it, this might be like a sweet spot to just try it and see what happens um and also i just need a break from from doing some web stuff it's just like uh, a, a lot and just takes up your time and i just wanted to it was just a good time to just focus on comics so i that's what i'm doing is like i must it's just funny to hear it because it's never been something i could say but yeah i'm like a full-time card cartoonist artist right now <laughs> but can I, I mean in the Bay Area, yeah, I have a husband that helps <laughs> financially. You have to have like a conversation, right? To just be like, right? Can we figure this out? I have, a, and I have a son, so it's like thankfully he's in, you know, he's in public school, and the public school was great. Yeah, so we, there is a, definitely a conversation, and so um, I don't know. Ken has always been my comic, so like people know Ken from from my work, and so they always know him as a supportive guy. You know, he's always. He's a writer in his own right, so he knows about following dreams, and, and um, so. But we'll just see how it, how it goes, Brian. That's the thing, right? You can't both follow your dreams at the same time, <laughs> right? Right. He knows. Yeah, I might just find another like a new another web job by the end of the year. When you do something like that, I mean, obviously, you know, you're able to finish this book, which is great. I mean, you've already been getting some really good reviews around it. Do you go into it giving yourself a, a set timeline? I kind of, I, I actually do. And I'm actually, I'm not conservative about it. Like I'm just, people will tell me like it, you know, it takes a while to really get, you know, kind of get stable in this career. And, but I feel like my timeline, yeah, is a little bit 
my window is a smaller window. But as an artist, like, it's not just, like, comics. Like, I feel like it's, like, all sorts of things that I'm interested in doing. It's, like, writing, graphic design, web, you know, it's it's all sorts of things. So there's, like, there's so much potential, I think. So there's so many opportunities and and paths. So we'll see. It's just it's just like that, that web career. It's like I never thought I was going to be in a web career. So who knows where I'm going to go? I'm going to be next year. I'm not going to say that that a web career is stable, but it definitely has more potential for stability than being a <laughs> yeah. full time artist. <laughs> True. When you're sort of setting aside this time, I mean, obviously it sounds like the big, the number one thing was working on this book, but now you're yeah. kind of looking around at other things that you can do kind of in, in and around art. But ultimately when you sit down and you say, Hey, like, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm going to like make a go at it in a really meaningful way. Does it make more sense to just focus on that one medium for most of the time? I Well, with comics is, you know, I'm just so used to it being that one job that like, I just am trying so hard to, to, to have. And and so like once you have it, it's like oh wow, this is a job now. So like it's sort of like the whole like thrill of it is just like so it's like basically if you're like I'm not thrilled with it, it's like okay, I guess I'm just gonna go into graphic design now. Or I'm gonna go into writing now. I don't know, but um, I feel like having some variety helps and in, in any kind of art making is like like just trying different formats or different mediums helps kind of shape shape the way you are as an artist and like even any career really like if you're like in marketing or if you're just in admin like it's it's, you gain skills that help you in this like career that is an art career you know like you gain business skills you gain administrative skills so i mean for me personally, yeah, I feel like <laughs> more variety, the better, like getting my hands in all different things is, is more exciting. And that's like always the hardest part about comics. It's just such a, it's always such a singular production oriented thing. Um, and a tedious thing that sometimes, yeah, you just want to quit and not do it anymore, you know? And so, I, I mean, I see a lot of cartoonists just doing, going into other mediums, which is cool. Like, you know, animation or videos and um or just writing and so I don't know I think it's exciting I mean just as an artist like just that's really the fundamental thing is just it's just finding new ways to to make stories and experimenting in different things being so laser focused on something you know as well as anybody takes a long time to do yeah, full length book, and I assume that you know, give, given given the subject matter, not just like the subject matter, but like the actual story contained therein, and some of the elements that it it probably was a, at certain points emotionally draining or emotionally exhausting. Once you were finished it, you were really glad you were done with it, and, and there is that sort of that period of like really feeling burned out, and maybe for some people feeling like, hey, I never want to do it again until you want to do it again. Oh, for sure, yeah, like. It's sort of like Stockholm syndrome. It's like being going into labor and then like, I'm never doing that again. Like that was the most horrific experience, traumatized. And then you're like, I want to have kids. You know, I want to have another one. But yeah, with making this book, it was, it wasn't as, I mean, well, making like anything, like, like with 
Like I, I tend to like, I do it. I have a deadline and I can't look at it anymore. Like, I don't want to look at it. I don't, but, um, I get that. <laughs> I, sh- I shove all the originals in the drawer and I can't look at it. But then like later on when I have to dig those, dig into those originals to like, like for some show or whatever, or a gallery thing. And, and I read them again and I'm like, wow, that's, that was actually a pretty good story I did there. You know, like, so I don't know. Yeah. I think as you're so into it and you're just so, you've just been like looking at the same thing forever that it's, it's just not, you just get bored with it. Not, I don't know, not bored, but just like, I just don't want to see it anymore. You know, never having given birth to a child myself. (laughs) I can't speak to this personally, but I, but I do think that it's a good analogy in the sense that, you know, it's, it's not, it's not quite that you want to go through that again in the sense that like you want to go be in labor again, but it's that you came out the other side with this thing that you really like and you want to get another one of those things. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean, and then just like the accomplishment, I mean, the feeling of accomplishment, you know, it's, it's, it's addictive and exciting and thrilling. And so of course you want to feel that again. And with this book, particularly, you know, I was, you know, it was like, I don't think it was a long, crazy process where I'm like, I'm never going to do that again. Because I am really excited in where this is going. Like, I, I, I feel like there's a lot more opportunities to tell more stories of these characters. And so I'm excited to tell more. So I, and I'm just like thrilled by the response to it and just, and just uh, people like Filipino, like people just reading it and just being excited about the representation. I think it's, it's great. And just like, I just am happy with how it, it, it came out and I'm just happy I, um, I had a really great production crew with Megan Tan and Trona Corley and and Francis Yula, who's my editor. So um, they're two really uh, talented Asian women, and I think we just had like a really good group. And so I'm really proud of the the whole package of it, like just making it and the collaboration and. So the experience of making it was was rewarding enough that I wanted to do it again. Yeah, not just do it again, but you alluded to this a little bit, but I was also, I think, reading an interview that you did a, a little while back. But the, is it a trilogy? Is that, or there's at least, there are going to be more books with this character. I mean, I always thought, when I thought of this idea back in like 2010, like right after Whirlwind Wonderland, I had an idea of like, this was going to be a series of like floppy comics. Remember those things? Um, <laughs> so I, I felt like, like this is like an ongoing series that can go on forever. And so, um, so yeah, I, there's, I see it as happen as like at least a trilogy, but we'll see how it goes. Like, it, you know, I don't know in what format or whatever, but it's always been the case that I want it to be more than one book. Well, 13 years ago now, when, when you <laughs> had that initial idea, like what what was the idea and how closely does it hew to the book that is out, out in the world now? Um, so I think the the s- central part of the story of this, this of Bulbot being the lead character was always like I want I always was interested I don't even know where he came from but I was always into like hardball detective stories I was into film noir and drawing fedoras and and drawing fedoras in suits was a big thing 
Now I'm just really sick going drawing hats. Um, <laughs> but um, yes, I just I had this idea in my head that I wanted to do a comic strip about this guy named Bobot who just goes through these, like kind of like Dick Tracy, and goes through all these different, you know, cases that these mysteries he has to solve and he was always going to be in san francisco and um and and he was actually kind of an old i, I was talking about this or thinking about this like, just today he was always going to he always when i drew him 10 years ago on my Flickr account i have character um, studies and he was always an older guy he was like middle-aged and so he was always he's always like in my mind this established like um figure in the community who was a detective and he would just go through all these like horrible detective things like dick tracy in a way so that's kind of how the book and my my feeling back then how they kind of merge and so in a way this book is sort of like the origin story of boba before all these adventures come about. That makes sense because he's like, I mean, it's very much a, I mean, it's an immigrant story. Yeah. And it is an origin story. Mm-hmm. He's one of like several men, like seems like almost fairly anonymous at the beginning. And then like slowly the camera starts to focus in on him. And I wanted to sort of, I wanted to focus that whole pan in the beginning of kind of the view from the Pacific and it's coming, you know, Pacific where he's from, from the Philippines, and then it 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 move, morphs into like this point of view of going towards the California coast and America, and um, so the whole transition east and west. I wanted to show that. And then when I started thinking about the book in 2020, as a pitch to D and Q for a second, as a second book to Boogie to blame this on the Boogie pitch this book which you know is totally different than the boogie book the boogie book is like autobio about my family and and yeah it became it included um the whole uh, his like just i wanted to show the backdrop of like the 1920s the filipino filipino immigration experience in that time in san francisco because i felt that is something that not a lot of people know about still um including filipinos or filipino americans and so i felt the need that that had to be in the book you know i'm not a historian but i wanted to at least have people kind of be a gateway for people to learn more about it um and like read up about it it's occurring to me as we're talking the suit is a through line the suit as you know as we were saying earlier being a very important part of the costume of the era you know very it very nice suits in all of those those mm-hmm. film noir movies, but also the role that it plays in being a diaspora and not having any money, and the importance of that that one suit, and the important the importance of the suit that he basically steals and brings across the country with him, or not across the country, but uh, brings to brings with him. Hmm. Yeah. No. Definitely. the The suit was. It was an important part of the story and, like, very different. Like, all these layers to it. Like, there's the whole thing of um, these workers who, you know, their dreams were to have these glamorous lives in America. So the suit represents that, the glamorous movie star, you know, lifestyle. Um, 
being and then the whole thing of what is it how is it to be a american or someone in you know western culture sophisticated you know you're not an, an animal you're not a savage or something like that you're you're civilized and the suit represents that and then the whole thing with like being a man being masculine the suit is um you know a costume of like of, of your gender and of, of, of like your status and so there's a lot of layers that go on with that and just also like the contrast between like having to do menial labor and like in having this dirty job in the fields and then making sure that you actually have this clean <laughs> suit to, to kind of present or have the appearance of, of, of a certain type of person. So yeah, there's the suit is like a really huge part in, in a lot of different ways talking about people's place in, in the world in society. There's that very clear dichotomy early on where they're all, you know, working these like manual labor jobs. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know if it's once a week, but it's that, it's that thing of, you know, going to the dance and like getting the women to dance to you. And it's it's very aspirational. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, um, yes, I wanted to show that. And then I wanted to show, you know, like part of historical fiction is, is, not just showing the historical parts of, of like events that happen, but also the personal and the emotional part of things and, um, and humanizing the whole thing. Like these aren't just like statistics or facts in history or years or trivia. It's, these are people's, these are people's lives and the lives of like their families. And so, and yeah, that's the, basis of coming to america is like having certain hopes and dreams fulfilled so yeah i just wanted to show that if and when you do future books that it will chronologically progress the story but Mm -hmm. we get glimpses of his past life you know we obviously his wife whatever is happening to her is this very central character Mm -hmm. i assume that she will continue to play a role in future books but have you left open the opportunity to explore his life before yeah, I mean, I think I think in future there, there's I mean there's always going to be I have always seen it like there's flashbacks of like you know why 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 is he motivated to do certain things or need to have to make certain decisions and so uh, I think peop- things in his past kind of motivate those things. They're all in the book itself. There's glimpses of like what happened in the past and how that has affected how he does certain things. Um, so if, yeah, that's always going to be a part of I think Boba's personality is is <laughs> how he was treated in the Philippines or how he you know his relationship with his wife. Like we still need you know there are things left unanswered with that, and so um, so yeah, there's always opportunity to not just for his character but all those uh, other side characters that are that is interesting that I like to play around with. Your your parents were obviously a, you know a, d- a different generation from the characters here. Were they ultimately a resource when you were doing some of the I guess historical or cultural research here? Yeah, totally. Um so like they're the kids of of these guys. So um so it was you know I interviewed my mom and my aunt 
and um, because my grandfather and his brothers are actually part of this generation, the Monong generation, the generation that I cover in the book in the late 20s. And they actually um, were a part of the group that came from the Philippines to the Bay Area. And so, um, so it was really a cool discovery because I always knew that, that my, about my family's immigration story, like, oh, like your grandfather came earlier and then we came later in the seventies. And, and you just think, you know, it's like, it's trivia for you. It's like, that's how, that's the family history is the line, it's the timeline. And, you know, it's also a way to like say, yes, I'm American. So I belong here. Um, and, but you don't really see in the context or a broader context of that they were part of this huge wave of Filipino, um, mostly Filipino bachelors that paved the way for a Filipino community here and across the U.S. So I got to interview my mom and my, my aunt about their, their, their father and their, their uncle's time here. And um, it was fun. It was, and I think it was fun for them to like relive and to like discover things. And it, it's also just was, it feels like it's just so important because it's, you know, these people of course have passed away and there's a lot of these unanswered or just stories that aren't, haven't been you know, written down or, so there's a lot of op- open-endedness to it and a lot of stuff based on oral tradition. So it's just, it's just a great reminder of like how much needs to be documented, especially histories of, 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 of groups of people that are marginalized and especially times in history where the U.S. kind of would like to rather forget and not, not look back on. So, um, so yeah, it was a good, they were good. They were a huge reference or huge important part of the research. And then there was just so much, and I, I was like, this was happening during the pandemic, so I had to rely on a lot of things that were online. And so there's like this whole digital archives that a lot of historians and archivists and librarians, especially in like ethnic studies programs here in San Francisco and San Francisco State. There's just like a wealth of like articles and newspaper archives of like articles and and news clippings about like the Watsonville riots and, and just like the anti-Asian, anti-Filipino sentiment at that time, just like all these columns and essays about how Filipinos just need to, to have their like independence so we can just, they can just leave and then just stay in their country. And so just, it was just a really good, um, just really like thankful that 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 all exists and that's just again a reminder that we just need to these things need to be documented and put somewhere and thank god for libraries and and um because they had a a really great library of of photo references from that time and um you know from san francisco and in the bay area and and all these filipino organizations that like we've written articles and interviews of 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 men that were a part of that generation. And so, um, so yeah, it was just, it, I'm just thankful that that, that people have thought to like write books and, um, and, and write down history. Cause it's just really important, really great resource to have. The racism. It's what created the conditions in a lot of ways, but it, it does, it feels more like a backdrop in the book. There are certain mm-hmm. moments, there are moments where they sort of like, you know, move outside of, 
their area. They end up in places. I don't want to say that they shouldn't be, but mm-hmm, places mm-hmm. that they aren't welcome, certainly. But it's yeah. not It's not really, it's not the central focus in, in the book. Yeah, no, definitely. But I, I wanted to show what kind of situation these people found themselves in, but also that that Filipinos existed in America at that time and they actually had real lives and they had, you know, families and they had, um, you know, they had like apartments, like they were just human beings, basically. <laughs> I just wanted to say is that they, they existed and like, especially like in this genre, there's not a lot of, you know, Filipino representation or Asian representation and, uh, and or they're just like usually they're just like the like the butlers or like the the, pe- the waitress in the, the Chinese restaurant or whatever and um, and so I, I wanted to show that they existed as people that were just that you know that were that lived in America at this time um, so I, I wanted it to be like a, a simple like a normal, ordinary, like, um, life, you know, and that, and that a part of their life, um, was dealing with casual racism, you know, and, and discrimination. Casual to a point, and right? Systemic. I mean, it's, <laughs> well, and systemic, but also even beyond that, that there are, there are moments where it's really jarring. I mean, I keep going back to, um, Bobit and I can't remember the, the, the woman's name again. They end up in. I think they're trying to go to a restaurant where they shouldn't be, and it's really it's yeah. really jarring because suddenly it's it's in your face in a way that it wasn't when they're right. I don't want to say keeping this. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were not. They were not welcome in certain places. And it was interesting also because you know you're in San Francisco Bay Area, and you think that you know this is the most um, one of the most diverse places in America, and you know you think they're they were always welcome, but. Well, um, that's yeah. it. That's ignoring a lot of uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of what happened to the Chinese in particular. Was... Right, right, right. Yeah. So you just think like, oh, you know, and so it's like, no, that isn't <laughs> that. That wasn't always the case. How did your family end up in Pittsburgh? My mom got my mom got a medical degree in the Philippines and she actually got a job like a medical residency medical residency with the University of Pittsburgh Presbyterian Hospital and um yeah so that's how we wound up we were they 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 came to Oakland they were going to live in Oakland San Francisco and then yeah this job came up in the 70s and then we they they've lived there all their lives really (laughs) which is which is really cool yeah, and so I was born and raised there. Was there a cultural community for you out there? Um, for me personally, there I didn't see one. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, there I, I lived in a very predominantly white suburb in Pittsburgh, and so, but there were like there were friends of my mom. They were all doctors and their families, so that was sort of the community. Um, and then you'd go to school and you'd see like one other Asian person and you'd feel like, okay, that's my community. <laughs> and, and so, so yeah, so it was a two person community. Is anyone from the yeah. continent would, would suffice? <laughs> right. So yeah, not, not particularly there, there wasn't one that I, that I found when I was there. Pittsburgh is super interesting to me. I've been there a handful of times, but 
mostly over the past decade. Certainly what I thought Pittsburgh was and what I actually encountered Pittsburgh, you know, in the like in the teens and and the 20s are two very different Uh things. But also, and this is historically true, obviously, this has changed a lot as a Bay Area has gotten more and more expensive. But Mm -hmm. Oakland, to me, has seemed like a kind of a historical, a historically working class town in a similar way to Pittsburgh. I mean, it's like sort of the I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't know too much of it as a as a working class but um because i always see it as like an like an art town like a very creative very political town but um it's always it's been political small, but yeah yeah it's sort of it's like the sister the the, the the neglected sister to san francisco i mean i don't know it's like the pittsburgh is neglected. the town but, not the city but but like with pittsburgh there's a lot of like no nonsense like we don't deal with bull, you know bs like yeah, <laughs> bullcrap behavior. Like you know, it's. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they kind of do have that same kind of small town feel. Like there is sort of a community feeling in Oakland. Um, like Pittsburgh can have a community feeling in certain neighborhoods. Like um, so, like it doesn't feel as big as San Francisco and. Um, so in that respect, I, I, I feel there's like there's a connection there. Um, obviously, the sports teams are mid market, um, <laughs> but yeah, I just feel like they are sort of like, you know, they're not, they don't deal with BS and they're not trying to be something, you know, that they aren't type of thing, and you know, they they pride themselves in 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 wh- what they're good at, and you know, and what and, and, what they, you know, so it's like, you know, art, community, family. Um, so Pittsburgh is like that art, community, family, too. Um, but, yeah. I work at a tech site. That's my main job. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I've been out there is for robotic stuff. And that's, oh. you know, obviously CMU is out there. And now there's a lot yeah. of companies that have sprung out up out of it. But that's been hugely transformative for the city. And that's a big part of the reason why... I'm going to Detroit for the first time next week, and I'm going into it with a similar kind of notion that I had about Pittsburgh initially, you know, mm, this like mm-hmm. a Rust Belt city, and that it was obviously depressed for a really long time. Right, it, steel mills, yeah. Yeah, but it seems like it's transformed pretty dramatically over the past, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I remember, like, in the 90s, I think that was the time when it really... Um, had, they, they called it the Renaissance. There were a couple, like, phases... Um, but the whole, they changed the whole perception that they were this, like a city of smokestacks and you couldn't even see the city. It was all, you know, pitch black because of, and all this, all, I remember even then the buildings were all dark and, and full, like just covered with soot. And, um, and I thought that was just sort of like what it was. It was like, oh, this is made out of, I don't know, what is a dark color? Uh, Like a, like a stone, like a, I was like, oh, and then I just realized, no, that's actually dirt. So, like, with like one year, the the Carnegie Library, they totally sandblasted it, and it was like, oh, that's the that's the true. That's what buildings are supposed to look like. Yeah, and so, and then after the nineties, yeah, it was this whole renaissance of like, there's a cultural district, there's this whole theater district, you know, arts and and medic medicine, so like UPMC and like like all the the you know, medical and, and technology. And yeah, so 
So it definitely has changed for sure. And it's, it's just like a cool, I think that's another thing about Oakland and Pittsburgh. It's just like a cool looking city. It's just a really, yeah, yeah, definitely the bridges. Yeah, it's, it's really fun and great weather. And, um, but yeah, I can, and you know, we're think we're talking about it and I'm thinking about it. There is that, again, that small town feel like, of um, of just a, you know, community definitely, you know. When I was out there, well, obviously pre pandemic, um, so it would have been several years now, but I, it, it, I went to Frank Centaur's place to, in, to interview him and, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, this is, this is what it's like for most people who live here. You know, like, I'm like, it's that thing of like going to a city for work and you're, you know, going to the office buildings and you're staying at a hotel downtown and you're like, oh no, this is like, this is just like a, this is like a nice, this is a nice place. Yeah. And it was something that I hadn't experienced, like so, solely being there for work. Yeah. It's a nice like place you actually want to settle down oh god am i actually saying that but <laughs> if you're in the market for getting a house then you know it's it's a consideration yeah. but um yeah it is it's like a it's nice quiet and like it's just a great place to raise a family and but yeah there's like a really fun cool arts um community and i think i don't know exactly where frank's but i'm assuming i think it's in lawrenceville and lawrenceville is like totally has changed like that was like a total working class old you know old kind of community you know of like and then and now it's like this burgeoning art and like all these bars and and fun stuff to go to so so yeah there's like a, it's it's a lot more I mean it's always been vibrant especially because of the arts but um I think it's 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 even more exciting and and, and fun and livable. I hear from a lot of children of immigrants that there's often this, there's often this pressure, obviously, you know, like, you know, coming, coming to, you know, in a lot of cases, having, having struggled a lot to provide a better life for, for your children. And then obviously, mm-hmm. you know, your, your mom being a doctor, I'm wondering <laughs> what the conversation was like when you told her you wanted to go to art school and be an artist. You know, I don't, I, it's probably because they're just so used to, like, they have other friends who are in the medical profession and they, they've heard those conversations they've had with their kids. And I think it, they, it, they've always, like, probably swore to themselves, like, we are not going to be those parents. We're not going to be the ones who are like, you should be a doctor or a lawyer even though my parents were doctors and like, um, you, you, you need to, you need to have a doctor. But it was, my dad was more focused on, you need to get a degree. Like, I don't care what it is, but you need to go to college. That was his thing. And so if it was art, fine. Yeah, that's fine. But like, you just need to get a job. And so that was what he was laser focused on. And then when I got a degree, he's like, okay, bye. Like, like you, that's it. So when I, you know, when I talk, like, talk about art, like, even to this day, like, comics, I think it was only until probably this book came out and, like, like good reviews and, like, go, actually going to book events that my mom, like, was actually like, wow, like, okay, this is a thing. Like, this is, this is kind of exciting. But still, like, you should, you know, still get a job, right? You know, <laughs> so there's you know, it's, there's always going to be that, like, you're always concerned about, like, you're gonna, you're gonna make it, because, you know, uh, them coming as immigrants, like, the whole thing is about survival, right? It's about, you know, <laughs> like, actually living and not, you know, finding a job that you can, like, actually live, and so, um, 
so I think that's always going to be in first generation like mind is like just survive <laughs> find a way to survive through all this as you said you're getting good reviews and in, in some high profile places you know i think i think you got started in pw which is obviously a, a really big deal and you yeah. got up in kirkus and all those places for your mom this is perhaps real in a way that it didn't feel real with your earlier books mm-hmm. does it feel that way to you too I, I feel like it feels more real just because I am focused on it full time right now. And so I'm like, it has to be real to me. Like, um, this has to happen for me. No, but, um, but of course, I, I still get, like, just this morning, I just talked about imposter syndrome, like, to, to my, to my husband. I'm like, I don't know about this. Like, when I was gearing up for this interview, I was like, I don't, I don't know what Brian is trying to interview me. Like, I don't understand. Like, he's gonna, like, ask me all these, like, comics questions and, like, you know, about artists and stuff. And I am just, like, I... You have I, not listened to my podcast. <laughs> I know. No, I've listened to it. And I was like, it could just be the people that you're interviewing. They're just well. Just, I noticed how thrown you were when we talked about <laughs> sports for the first 20 minutes of conversation. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is what we're... That's is what he's asking me, the sports topics. <laughs> so I gotta get my list of sports names. I get it, and it's not... <laughs> I don't want to say it's something everybody experiences. I talked to somebody last night. I interviewed somebody last night, and he's like a successful comedian. Mm-hmm. He's on he's on television, and you know, and yeah, talked about how it's a a constant for a lot of people. It's it's there, and there's no level of validation can ever. Ma- I mean, I, I'm in that boat too. No no level of validation could ever make it those voices fully go away. Yeah, but I'm very thankful. I mean, I have so much gratitude, definitely, of like the good reviews, especially for this book, because I'm so, you know, people just know me from auto bio stuff. And, um, and so I was very afraid of what the reactions would be just like, why is she doing this book? Or like, she just did not get this right. (laughs) Or, um, you know, so I'm just very thankful for that. So I do, I think especially in this time in my life, and especially with the pandemic, I, I know that you need to really savor all of your wins. And um, so I'm definitely trying to do that more and not be so down on my, and not waste time being down on myself, even though I do. But I try to not be as down. But And I know, again, my time, <laughs> you know, uh, but my age, that things are fleeting and things like change like a drop in a hat you know and then you know you just don't know what's going to happen so you just sort of have to savor those moments and just focus on those <laughs> but yeah i still think that i'm just like always wondering like why is why is someone want to ask me these questions like <laughs> why why is someone trying to publish me i don't know like why is <laughs> why are you doing that I just <laughs> so yeah I am always cautiously suspicious about everything <laughs> paranoia <laughs> <laughs>